great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. You know, at Clark Deals, when we were having a, a meeting during the period leading up to the Labor Day holiday, which is historically a huge sales period on appliances, we were talking about the problem with the appliance industry, the lack of inventory, and how this past Labor Day sales were non-sale sales. And it's been a very difficult time if you have a major appliance in your home that croaks right now because replacing it is hard. And we had a caller just a couple of weeks ago who said, what's the deal? Why is it that when I went to look for a refrigerator, they were all saying they'd be available in 21. Well, it's not that all of them, you got to wait till next year, but it's been very, very hard because the workforces have been so disrupted at appliance manufacturers because of so many of their workers getting coronavirus on the assembly line. And then you've got people who are uh, at home so much more using appliances they don't normally use as much, and so they're wearing out. I saw an item in the Washington Post, in fact, how being an appliance repair person right now is one of the greatest businesses you can be in because the demand for your services is off the charts as people not being able to replace appliances or instead repairing them. This inventory issue will get better as we move through the first part of 21. The inventory levels will start to rebuild. And this temporary problem will go away with the shortages of inventory. So maybe it is a better idea if something croaks, if you can repair it cheaply enough and find a repair person to do it, maybe it would be better to go ahead and repair and have it limp along, get another season or two out of an appliance that's getting some uh, age on it, and then replace it when the inventory levels do rebuild. Otherwise, it's not like they're impossible to find. They will be more expensive. You just got to shop around at a wider number of retailers than you might normally do. Ryan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Clark? Great. Thank you, Ryan. How can I be of service to you? Thanks for having me on the show. Certainly. Uh, I have a second home in a area that's prone to uh, wildfires or apparently prone to wildfires. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it is a second home and it's in a beautiful place. Uh, my insurance carrier has recently contacted me to say that they're not going to renew the policy due to the wildfire risk. Right. So and, you must be in California, Oregon, somewhere on the West Coast? Yes, we're in, we're in Northern California. Okay. Yeah, this is a look-see about what Floridians have faced for the last 25 years where homeowners insurers no longer want to insure anybody in Florida because of hurricanes, and so they have all what I call fake homeowners insurance in Florida. Now California in particular is in a bullseye target with insurers wanting out because of the possibility of the wildfires. Right. So you said this is a second home. What are you looking at doing now that your insurer says they hate you? The broker that I'm working with has given me the option of uh, combining 
two policies together. One is from the California Fair Plan, and that's intended to cover the wildfire and some of the Mother Nature type risks. And the other one is from a you know a traditional insurance provider to cover the liability and so forth on the home. I think that's good advice generally. You know, I can't talk specifically about your situation, but as a general rule, that is the right advice and right answer that you're getting from the broker. Because okay. you have the state using its resources to deal with what could be a catastrophic loss situation to make sure that if something is declared a loss to a wildfire, the state is stepping up. And I'm just surprised that you said this is a second home because usually states don't back second homes. They only back first homes. But if California will back a second home, then that's a great alternative. And then for insurers, since they've cordoned off the, the wildfire risk, your homeowner's insurance for everything else is likely very reasonable and affordable and probably a typical comprehensive homeowner's insurance policy. Yeah, it's, it is a little bit cheaper on that side of it, but overall it ends up being almost twice as much to fully cover the home. But that's because so that's, insurers are so afraid of a risk they can't calculate. Again, paralleling the situation in Florida with the homeowner's insurance and the hurricanes, the named storms, that it is going to be more ins- more expensive, at least for a while, because they can't calculate what kind of losses there might be from wildfires. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the whole thing about climate change and all that and how you feel about that the reality is in recent years the risk of these catastrophic events has gone up and so it's something that insurers are not able with their actuaries to figure out what is the total exposure they have and what are the odds of it and that's why you're left to the default of state backup and i would grab that even though it is so much more money Charlotte's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Charlotte. Hi, Clark. Just want to say first, thank you for all you do for consumers and for all you do for the military folks. You've helped us out a lot over the years. Well, thank you very much. And I, did you serve in the military or do serve yourself? Nope. It was, I worked for the military as a civilian, and my husband uh, retired about three years ago after 20 years of active and guard service. Well, that is wonderful, and I hope you'll express to him my gratitude for what he has done for our country. And I don't know if you know my long history. I was a civilian employee with the Air Force during the Vietnam War. Oh, no, I didn't know that. The very end of the Vietnam War, and I have a brother who served in Vietnam in the Navy and another brother who was in the National Guard during the Vietnam War but was not deployed overseas. So people only knew the benefits of serving. (laughs) Well, and as a culture and society, I believe that we would benefit enormously from widespread uh, service, either in the military or in some form of public service coming out of high school or college, because I feel like we've lost a lot of the sense of common purpose in the United States. And we don't really know each other the way you used to. And your husband could certainly share Uh, how you meet people from every walk of life when you serve in the U.S. military. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'm with you 100%. I think everyone should have some sort of service behind them. Well, I think that we would understand the true meaning of the word being a patriot if all Americans served as, let's say, a teenager or as a young 20-something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a complicated question for you today. Uh Uh-oh. Let's see if I can handle it. Okay. Um, I'd like to become the mortgage holder for my daughter. She owes about $100,000 on a house valued at $300,000. My husband and I, we would charge her 2% interest and have a promissory note. Um, My husband and I are retired and secure in our finances. But our daughter is concerned that the IRS would wonder, you know, what happened to that $100,000 that she owed last year that she doesn't owe this year. Well, the the loan needs to be registered properly as a debt against her home, as a mortgage debt. And so doing the refi, which is essentially what you're doing, needs to be done with a real estate lawyer or an escrow agent, most often a closing attorney in most states, and then it is properly recorded. And the IRS actually establishes what interest rate is an acceptable interest rate that you're allowed to charge and stay within the law for a family-done mortgage. Because a lot this oh. happens in a lot of families. So uh, the 2% you want to charge may or may not be enough under the IRS guidelines. Oh, I'm glad I called. I, I had no idea. So you can likely find that rate online with a little bit of digging on the IRS okay. website, but otherwise the the person you pay, to and it's not an expensive fee to have somebody handle paying off the prior mortgage with the money you'd supply and originating the new loan that you would have, it's essentially like any other refi, except you're the bank of mom and dad, and they properly record it, and it's like any other loan. So uh, do I have to worry about claiming that interest? Yes, you do have to claim that interest. (laughs) But you're giving her such a low rate because the IRS allowed minimum will be low enough you'll be giving her a deal. Okay. Um, It'll be low enough that it won't be any significant tax burden for you. Oh, fantastic. Can I ask one other quick question? Sure. I'm in a position now where I I don't have a mortgage, I don't have a a car loan, and we'll probably never have those again. Um, But I do have a a few credit cards. Uh, Is that going to negatively impact my credit rating if I keep my credit card utilization rate low? So how many credit cards do you actually have? Oh, now this is going to be embarrassing. I think I have six. That's great. That's actually not embarrassing in this situation. That's good. You want to have a wide variety of them in a case where you have no other traditional forms of credit. And a lot of people say, oh, no, you're going to destroy your credit score by not having any auto loans or having any mortgage loans. And that's not true. You you will pinch your score some by not having a variety of different loans. 
But if you've got six credit cards and you use them just occasionally, you can pay the balance in full, your credit standing and score will stay fine. Oh, fantastic, because it's, it's good now. And if I want to cancel one every year, don't do it. One, don't don't do, do it. it. Oh, well, if you want to okay. cancel one and get a different one, that's fine. But you don't want to reduce the number of net cards you have below the six you have now. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Paul. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. So you're trying to make this difficult choice of buying a place or renting a place with what home prices are these days. Tell me what your thinking has been. Well, I'm leaning towards continuing to rent. I live in a great place. I love where I live. Rent is, is good for, you know, the D.C. where I live. Uh, it's not cheap, but it's not bad compared to other places. But I'm looking at a, at looking at a condo close by, and it's, it's expensive. It's about f- over $450,000 for a one-bedroom condo, but that's D.C. for you. Um, the problem is I'd have to clear out my savings to get to the 20% down payment. So, and then after that, my monthly payment will still be about 500 or 600 more than what I'm paying now. Whoa. So, Whoa. Yeah. So you give up yeah. the flexibility of being able to relocate to another city. You give up the flexibility of being able to move to another neighborhood or place easily and you're paying more money, and you wipe out your down payment. Yes. That only works, and you included the condo fee in that five or 600 extra, right? Yes, indeed. So that really only works if you are planning to stay in that condo a good long time, because you cannot count on appreciating value for the condo. You know, okay. Because if you think about what that condo would have, is it a new building or is it one that's been there for a while? It's brand new. Nobody even lives there yet. Okay. So what you're having to pay per square foot versus what you would have had to pay per square foot in a new condo building five years ago, the numbers are completely different. It's so yeah. much more now. And real estate values are cyclical. I would not make that purchase decision if it were me unless you said you know i love this neighborhood so much i love this condo so much i want to be here minimum 10 years okay like how long are you comfortable that you would you would put that down payment wipe out your savings pay extra per month for a life plan of how long do you think you are comfortable living there well, I think I'd probably stick around a long time. I love, like I said, it's only a block from where I live now. I've lived in D.C. for a long time. I've lived in that neighborhood for about three years now, three and a half. So I'm okay staying there for a long time. But what worries me is wiping out my savings down to, you know, zero. And I would still have money like in a Roth IRA. So it's not like I wouldn't have access to anything. Right. But my, but my savings would be gone. And that's what scares me. And, and it becomes also, more I'm, difficult to rebuild your savings because you're now going to pay five or $600 more a month for right. housing than you pay now. Yes. And, and so that's what worries me because, you know, I, I make decent money, but this is an expensive city. So adding, you know, five to $600 a month more, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I, I would say your reluctance, the fact that you have to pay more per month, it's not a strong buy signal at all. 
The other thing is real estate is cyclical and particularly condos more so than homes. So I would not, unless you're just absolutely in love with it and you're willing to make the personal sacrifices income-wise, I would keep renting. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking I'm going to do. Right. So I, I think that there are times that we feel like buying a place just makes so much sense. I don't hear that in your voice, and I don't hear that in the numbers. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So we have two very confusing, conflicting things happening at the same time now. We had one that wasn't confusing at all earlier this year. The banks were in terror that people were going to default in massive waves on loans. And in particular, banks have been terrified of massive defaults on credit cards. Is unemployment, the number of people who faced unemployment in the United States, some point or another this year is above 60 million. And only half of the jobs lost to coronavirus have been recovered to this point. Uh, we, we are in a recovery, but man, it sure feels like a continuing recession. The credit card companies stop soliciting people for cards. I shared with you like four or five months ago how the number of solicitations had fallen to like nothing. And issuers were cutting off people's cards without notice. They were uh, shaving credit limits. We had someone recently who had their credit limit taken down 85%. And so now what's happened, the credit limit reductions are still taking place, which is why if you have back-of-the-wallet cards, please use them occasionally. If you've forgotten to use them, go use them somewhere so that you don't look like an inactive user who might suddenly pull it out, charge it up, and default. They're looking for patterns. But the change in pattern from the banks is suddenly they are actively soliciting people in big numbers like the old days. I saw a Bloomberg piece about the wave of solicitations being sent out by American Express, Capital One, and Discover, who all are starting to increase in American Express most heavily, Capital One uh, also heavily soliciting again. And the Capital One thing is such a great irony because they've been perhaps the most aggressive of all credit card issuers at cutting people's limits, and all of a sudden they're out soliciting again in big numbers. American Express is going to spend roughly $2 billion in the quarter soliciting new customers for cards. And the reason is, is this two-step economy where there are people who seem to be coming through the roughness of coronavirus in terms of employment very well and actually have more available cash than before because they haven't been traveling or eating out or going to events or concerts like before. So there's surplus cash. So the credit card companies are trying to figure out who those people are and solicit them very heavily and bribe them with sign-up bonuses 
So I know it's been a long time since you've seen a lot of these solicitations, but they're going to start popping up again if your credit's rock solid. Richard's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Richard. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Richard. How can I serve you? Well, the uh, topic came up recently when I was, uh, no, my wife brought it up actually, just wondering if we had mortgage insurance, this, if uh, in the event that I would kick, that the house would be paid off. And I said, well, I thought so, but I would check. And then I checked and we didn't have it. Mortgage insurance and, is something that I don't like for people to have. Okay. Because the banks rip you off. They charge roughly 10 times the premium that it costs for real life insurance. And the funny thing is the beneficiary of it is the bank. You know, they pay off your mortgage, mm-hmm. but they're doing it just to protect themselves. They <clears throat> pretend it's for you, but it's really for them. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I looked at it. It was pretty expensive. And I, well, we've only got seven years left to pay and the house is worth a lot more than what's left of the loan so so i would not say that's a priority and mm-hmm. are, are you still working just uh part-time all right um do am i retired did that oh you are retired all right mm-hmm. so what will your wife live on if you die before her uh social security and uh our 401k So no pension she would inherit or anything like that. Right. So if you're in good health, it may be a good idea to have some insurance, uh, life insurance, so that she will have some money in the event uh, you do pass away. Well, we do have a life insurance policy, and a larger one on me, so it's good for another couple years before they really jack up the price. You've already done the right thing. You've already done the right thing, and... Your mortgage carries an interest rate of what? It's about 3.37%. Okay, so it's a very favorable rate. You have massive equity in the home. Don't be tempted to buy the mortgage life insurance. Very good. Sounds like you got everything in a good, healthy position. All right, I appreciate that. Have a great day. Julie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Julie. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great, thank you. So, Julie, you are a very loving daughter, and you want to make sure your parents are well taken care of. What's going on? Well, I work in um, a hospital as an intensive care nurse, and... Thank you for doing that work. I mean, think how many people, how many years have you been doing that? Um, About five years now. So think about in those five years, you and the people that are working on a team on a patient how many people's lives you've saved over the years by what you've chosen as your profession? Yep, it's kind of what keeps you moving in the career. Well, good for you, and keep saving lives, okay? <laughs> Thanks. Um, so with the job, I've seen people pass well before their time, and I want to make sure that if I do pass before my parents do, that the assets that I currently have will pass to them and hopefully not get taken away by Medicaid if they ever end up on Medicaid. So I wasn't sure if I should do a trust or a will. So in that circumstance, with the preamble of what you said, you would definitely be in a trust mode and not a will. 
but this is not something you can do on your own. You okay. will you will need to hire either an elder law attorney, and that's a specialty category of the law, or a lawyer who does wills, estates, and trusts. Or someone who okay. does elder law and also does wills, estates, and trusts would be like the perfect combo deal. Okay. Because in the event that you do live a normal lifespan, you're going to likely well outlive your parents. And so you need to have a second plan, what happens otherwise and where you'd want your money to go other than to your parents. So this is a case where there would be a very specific circumstance where you're trying to avoid what's known as a Medicaid spend down where the state seizes the funds. And so you're thinking ahead of time, you're thinking this through the right way, and that's why the only way to protect them and you is to actually bring that money out of your wallet and hire a lawyer who this is what he or she does. Not just any old lawyer. It needs to be someone who this is their area of expertise. Okay. And the reason I mentioned the two types of lawyers is often lawyers who do wills, estates, and trusts will not be as familiar as you would need them to be on the rules on Medicaid spend down and protecting assets from Medicaid. And that's where an elder law attorney comes front and center. And that's why my first hope would be you could find an elder law attorney who also draws up um, trusts. Okay. And then also, um, my parents are also in the same situation where now they're wanting to have their will drawn up to leave their assets to me. Should we look at, in that situation, should we look at a will or a trust when they do their paperwork? I defer on that to the lawyer you're going to hire. Okay. And so this is perfect to deal with the whole circumstance of your parents and you and each of your wishes all together as part of one process and interviewing with the lawyer you end up choosing. Okay. So, and I will tell you this about the Medicaid thing. The rules are a moving target. And just because you do what complies with the law today, the law could be very different a few years from now. And you want a lawyer who's going to stay on top of that and will send a notice to clients when the laws change on uh, the protecting assets from the Medicaid program. Jen joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jen. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you, Jen. So my question is, I actually work at a hospital and I'm a nurse. I'm asking about life insurance. So through my job, I get... And what kind of nurse are you? Uh, I'm a transplant nurse. Really? Lung transplant. Yeah, I work in lung transplant. So I ditto what I said before also for (laughs) you. Wow. Think how many lives you've been part of saving. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I love it. How about that? (laughs) So my question is um, life insurance. I get basic life insurance one times my salary. And I signed up for supplemental life insurance two times my salary. Do I need additional term or whole life insurance? You would have to be earning more money than any nurse in America before you'd need whole life. 
because okay. under the tax brackets now, a single individual or uh, doesn't need to even consider a whole life till their income is over five hundred thousand. A married couple more like six hundred fifty thousand, and uh, I don't think nurses make those many zeros in their paycheck. No, unless I worked twenty four seven. Right, right. So <laughs> you would best be served by term insurance, and if your health is good and no okay. pre existing conditions it's much better for you to have your own level term insurance policy than have the group coverage that you're buying 2X of at work because that has to be made available to people regardless of medical condition. So if you can medically underwrite, you get a better deal buying your own. And then you have something, the premium's going to stay level over the time period you want to own it. I'm sorry to ask you this, but approximately how old are you? I'm 42. Right. So you would be looking typically at 20-year level term. Okay. Unless you had very young children, in which case you might buy a 30-year level term policy. Okay. No, no, 20 years. So 20 year, and so the premium will be what seems higher at first, but the premium stays the same all through these next 20 years. Okay. And I've got information on Clark.com about buying level term, plus there are companies now that will sell it to you using your medical history they can find online rather than doing the normal thing where you have to wait for one of your fellow nurses to come visit and poke you and pride you and take blood and all that. (laughs) All right. Good to know. I wasn't sure about that at all. Yeah. And so... The insurance at work is really great for that you have to buy additional if you've got pre-existing. Like, I'm uninsurable because of pre-existing, so having it through work is the only way I can get it. But in a a case where you are healthy, then you want to have it on your own. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. And producer Joel will ask your question for you. By the way, if you want me to directly speak with you, check the box on clark.com slash ask when you fill out your question. All right, Clark. Sanjeev has a question. He says, Clark, you have started advising callers about longevity insurance. Do you even realize that longevity insurance is another name for the hated curse word annuity? On one hand, you advise annuities are bad, and on the other hand, you're advising to get longevity insurance. What's the deal? Okay, that is such a valid point. So um, annuities are a cuss word on our show, because almost all annuities are garbage. 
but there are certain types of annuities that I do support and I like. Now, you'll never hear about a longevity insurance policy from an insurance agent because they make basically no commission from them. But what you do is you give a lump sum, usually at age 60, 65, somewhere in there, that only pays if you hit a certain milestone, usually age 85. So, uh, you know, a lot of people don't live to age 85. So what it pays from 85 the rest of your life is a huge amount of money per month based on what you put in. But the thing is with these, you can let all the rest of your money expire from your life by age 85, but if you haven't, the longevity insurance will pay for your life's needs for as long as you do live. Yeah, we got one from Annette Clark. She says, will you please explain how Orbi TV works? Is it a satellite that works in conjunction with an over-the-air antenna? It's all just a bit confusing. So Orbi is a minor competitor to DirecTV and Dish Network. And it's a very small company that offers satellite service. And there are a number of of things you should know about Orbi. One is that you got some significant upfront fees if you go with Orbi, and you've got a lot of add-on fees if you have several TVs in your house. And then Orbi is designed around uh, basically two main program packages. So Orbi is a contender in the market, but its main focus is really on people who don't have a good internet connection at their house and cannot easily stream content. So I have a very lengthy briefing for you at Clark.com and you'll feel like you understand completely whether or not that's going to be a choice to be right for you after you read our briefing. All right, Clark and Cindy wrote in. She said, on your podcast, you advised a caller that they would have to get a truck to return a Costco mattress. That is not the case. I've bought three mattresses and had returned the first two. Costco arranged for both pickup by truck at no cost and was pleasant about it too. Plus, Costco has great customer service. So that was actually a post from a listener who said that Costco would not pick up their mattress. And I was surprised by what they said and what they said was if you ordered from Costco.com, Costco came and got it. But if you got it at the store, you had to return it. And I guess we should find out the actual real answer from Costco. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.